0: Hello and welcome to the Ease for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bellavo alongside Rob The Show. And today, our very first episode on this podcast, where we're going to be covering everything related to gaming. News, current events, current happenings, content creation. We're also going to have a lot of special guests on the show. So Rob, big day today, first podcast episode. What is going on today?
1: We're going to be talking about a lot of things today. Um, I think we, we definitely want to start off, though, with... Um, Kind of what we're about and and uh, the origins of eSports
0: yeah, absolutely you know um, eSports has, has been around for a couple of decades now but I would I would be willing to, to say now that eSports is still in its infancy even though it's been around for 20 years, I would say you know you look back at the old arcade games, you look at Starcraft, which is really the big pushing point for eSports in my opinion you know it's it's still young. would, would you agree with that?
1: yeah i mean it's i feel like in the internet era it's uh it's it's just blooming but i mean of course we can trace origins way back to you know arcade cabinets and whatnot but there's just so
0: much more room to grow you know if you had told me 10 years ago you can make money playing video games i probably would have laughed and i would have said there's there's no way that's even remotely possible. I mean, I, I can recall, I grew up in the 80s, the 80s and 90s, if you will. And I can recall my parents yelling at me sometimes to get off the computer, go outside, go do something else, right? And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here we are today. You know, well, you, you look at the happenings around esports in general and some of these content creators and professional gamers, and these guys are making some of them, not all of them millions of dollars a year playing games i mean as a kid who wouldn't dream of this kind of opportunity
1: oh i mean it was it was it was mine i mean it sounds like we had you know very similar upbringings and that you know i i I remember it was it it was uh mid halo 2 era 2004 right when xbox live started launching and i was hearing about all these tournaments and i kept telling my parents i'm like this is what i want to do they like, no, 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 you got to actually get a career. That's not possible. No one is going to get paid to play video games.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I so for me, my, my first exposure into eSports, you know, I really didn't know it was a thing or at, at the time in, in my career, it was kind of an underground thing, if you will, where a lot of people deeply rooted in the game community were out here having these LAN tournaments and, you know, some of these big events And again, referencing StarCraft because that was really, in my opinion, one of the big ones. And I had no idea this was even going on. And I got involved in a game called World of Tanks. I don't know if anybody here has ever heard of World of Tanks, but we were really, really, really good in World of Tanks. And that's kind of where I realized you can actually make money playing video games, which is crazy. And then you have things like the rise of Twitch and Mixer in its prime, YouTube gaming, Facebook gaming. I mean... These streaming platforms came up and they were just absolutely everywhere as well as orcs.
1: It's crazy. I, I didn't even know there was like a competitive scene for World of Tanks. I mean, I just find out something new every day about, about like esports. <laughs> that's That's nuts to
0: think about. You know, in his prime, uh, actually World of Tanks was one of the big ones. And, you know, this is really? going back almost 10 years now, maybe a little bit more than that. I'm, I'm kind of dating myself on this one, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that, it, it was really big. In fact, I think they set a couple of records, if you will, uh, in regards to in regards to the actual amount of players they've had and, and being, you know, actually a really big esports. You know, if I remember correctly, several years ago they dropped their esports scene because they were spending close to twenty million dollars. 20, twenty million. Twenty million on an esports, and they weren't making much back off of it. So. They kind of rebranded themselves and did away with it. But if you look around today, <clears throat> one of the major, major driving forces behind esports is actually esports organizations or businesses uh, of teams involved in esports. You know, it's kind of like having your sports teams of the New England Patriots, or you know, the uh, the Houston Rockets. It's it's just like a sports team, just Related to video games. Heck, I
1: mean, uh, even colleges now. Colleges are even having their own esports teams. My my home state of Idaho, uh, um, Boise State University, has like one of the best League of Legends uh, esports teams for on a collegiate level. Which I I just that idea is crazy to me. There is a collegiate level esports team that is a, a jumping off point to become a
0: professional. And and you know it's funny you say that actually that esports is not only becoming big outside of colleges but inside of colleges. You see all these leagues popping up all over the place, uh, where schools are now offering collegiate scholarships for actual esports. And it's going to be interesting down the road. I mean, it's not quite there yet, but down the road, how majoring in esports or getting a a, a scholarship, if you will, into esports for college translates into a pro scene Will you start to see you know drafts like you do in the NFL or the NBA pretty much every other major sport are you going to start seeing that are these leagues going to become licensed kind of like what Riot does with now Valorant and of course uh, League of Legends as well and are they going to start drafting players in and out of leagues which is which would be pretty interesting actually
1: I could, I could absolutely see it. Um, what really cemented eSports is like a big deal to me. I mean, other than it just being, you know, uh, you know a hobby or an interest of mine is, is three major events. Um, obviously, when we started seeing like collegiate level teams, um, when we started seeing eSports and, you know, content creators or internet celebrities, if you will, on mainstream news, um, and lastly, professional military, U.S. military
0: esports organizations. To me, that's just crazy. You know, um, being a, a forthcoming with people, I was actually in the service for 10 years. Um, it, it's crazy to me to see the military now sponsoring this and, and really what the motive is behind that. But, you know, the U.S. Army, I actually recently saw them competing in the. Uh, Apex Legends Global Series, the ALGS in short, if you will, and they actually did fairly well in the Pro League qualifier. Uh, I seem to recall them finishing in the, in the semifinals. However, it's it's just fascinating to see the military getting involved with video games. The one place you think you wouldn't see video games, you're starting to see video games. You know, or... right?
1: You yeah, know, it's it's one of those things where. Growing up, it's always hey, you know, like these, like these shooter games, these FPSs. You know, it's not, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's not real life. It's, it's, it's a video game. It's a, you know, it's for fun. And you are starting to see militaries all around the world using them uh, in training exercises and, and various other things. And I mean, think about it. These guys that are part of these military esports teams, like they're getting a, they're they're getting a, a, a salary. They're getting health care. They're getting
0: <laughs> it's crazy. It it certainly is. And, and you know, in my, my time in, in esports and being involved with organizations, you know, nowadays, when you look at young kids coming up playing video games, uh, esports, if you will, so kind of the holy grail right now would be getting signed to an organization. Now, for the listeners out there, you know, we are an esports based uh, podcast, right? Uh, video games are for everybody. Like, like it says in the title, video games are for everybody. I mean, I know people that are in their fifties that are hardcore gamers. And I know people as young as 12, 13 year olds that are also involved in gaming. And everybody would tell you the same thing. The ultimate goal for a lot of these players or content creators, people basically making videos, clips, live streaming on Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, whatever happens to be for their platform is getting signed by an organization.
1: You know, I um, I was thinking about that, just like the, the, the change in dynamics in gaming, just online interactions. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember growing up that you'd hop on, you'd play a game, you'd interact with people, you are having fun. And, you know, sometimes you'd see content creators pop up, that very, like, niche content. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's funny just feeling how game lobbies are now. It seems like everybody, everybody is going try hard. Everybody is sweating in these matches now, and it didn't used to be like that because everybody now wants to be like, I'm the best. I'm the guy. I want to be recognized. I want to get signed.
0: Oh, for sure. You know, uh, and what's interesting about that, I'm gonna I'm gonna point out one organization in particular right now, right? Uh, TSM. You know, mm. I'd, I'd argue mm. that they're probably the biggest and one of the most profitable and highest valued organizations out there right now. I, oh, easily. I think they're worth $540 million. I, Without looking it up, I'm, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say, I had read an article recently from Forbes that they were worth about 540 million. That is a hundred million more than the Phoenix Coyotes in the NHL. So just to give you an idea of where esports currently stands, you have a team organization that competes in video games and signs content creators that is more valuable than a pro franchise playing a sport. Well, and the numbers crazy. are
1: absolutely the, the the numbers are crazy. I mean, in the US alone and uh I'm like 99% sure of this number. In the US alone Esports is is like worth like one point two billion or something like that.
0: Absolutely, That's just the U.S. That's crazy. And but you know what's funny about that is is everybody always says esports. I, I talk to a lot of people in this industry, and they always say esports is a billion dollar empire. It's a billion dollar business, and you always ask them what is the billion dollar part of it. Where do you get that billion dollars from? Where does it come from? Where is it going? Who's getting it? Who's not getting it? Where is this billion dollars? Where do I find it? And now that you say that, so I have a couple of friends of mine and they love to play this game called Dota 2. <laughs> <the Ancient> Two. <laughs> so I never really got into Dota. Um, it's a MOBA game. Basically it's a clicker game. Uh, there's about a hundred different heroes. And the object is to destroy towers and destroy the ancient, right? So I never got into that game um, really to to play it. I wasn't interested in it. You know, I was more of an FPS shooter guy or maybe even some uh, role-playing games, right? So one day I'm I'm talking to one of my best friends and he's telling me about the eSports and Dota. Um, And he told me that the International one year, and this was 2019, It's going to be $43 million. (laughs) (laughs) And you think about that for a minute and you're like, damn, somebody is going to become a multi-millionaire. This person is never going to have, there's there's five people on a team. So these five people are never going to have to work again in their lives if they win this, right? $43 million on the line. You are an instant millionaire if you win that is just crazy you you never need to work again and you did this by playing a game
1: right i mean what's what's crazy too is i mean we're not even talking about i mean if if you're in a a a world recognized stage you know you're at the the highest level as a professional you're already signed to an esports team so you have a salary you likely have sponsorship deals either through the team or directly with you um, if you're smart you're also doing content creation and you're monetizing you know scrims or practice or you know how to's tip videos i mean it's it's these people can be recognized overnight i mean i i always think about shroud like the csgo days you know people followed him before you know as as a professional but you know it, it wasn't it it wasn't massive and when he switched to content creation he it just exploded he exploded and, and it's all because of just gaming professionally.
0: Oh, absolutely. And on, on that same point, you know, I, I think really you have two types of eSports in general. Uh, you have the capitalistic system, like I would consider Dota 2, uh, a game like Apex. Uh, these games are capitalist systems, which means they're free to get into and you can win money. By not having to pay any money. You look at a game like League of Legends, uh, Overwatch, um, the Call of Duty League. You look at these titles and you have to play for a team. And that team slot, uh, the last I knew, a Call of Duty League slot was over $20 million to buy that slot. So a team has to buy that slot because there's no way anybody out there is throwing in $25 million of their own money. Right? And you got to be signed by an organization in order to do that. That's more of a controlled environment, and my my question to you, Rob, is: Do you think more esports go that route of being? Uh, I, I don't know the word I'm looking for here. I guess, but uh, being more of a capitalist system, staying to that route, staying that nature, or do you think they're going to go to a monetized version of the league run by the gaming publisher?
1: I mean, from from what I can see, just you know, being involved in amateur and having some uh knowledge of, of professionals and kind of their opinions in the esports scene. It's 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 really mixed. Um I mean my, my personal opinion, I do think having a set of standards and having kind of these lofty um requirements is interesting. Because that very much follows the path of traditional professional sports, right? You know, NFL, NFL, NHL, MLB. Um, but there's also a part of me that really loves the grassroots effect. You know, you look at, um, uh, you know, like the UFC. You look at uh, the PFL. You look at Bellator, the One Fighting Championship. It's very grassroots. That's that's why I'm a huge fan of the Contender Series um and uh like the Apex Legends um like the gosh the, the one that Hi- the HyperX puts on uh you know the the intro series you can be recognized and you could just work your butt off make the right team make the right choices and get signed
0: um oh absolutely 100% and, and you know it's funny talking about Apex I play a lot of Apex um I love Apex I'll be the first to tell you i'm not very good at apex but that doesn't prevent me from loving it i always see people complaining about the state of the game and i say it's i'm not good enough for it to even really matter to be honest it could be in the best state ever and i'm still gonna suck just as much as i do right now but talking about apex and and you just brought up a good point actually about teams getting recognized you know i do own an esports organization called nightmare uh, we do compete in Apex and the ALGS. And it, it's funny because there are several pro teams out there that are unsigned. And these teams have an epiphany and they do well. They make it to a LAN. And the next thing you know, boom, here comes a big esports organization into to sign these guys. And if you look back on what got them there, they didn't, they didn't cost them any money. They, they didn't have to spend money out of their own pocket to get there. They just worked their tails off, had a good run, got noticed and got signed. And now these kids are going to get contracts from these big organizations. And I would also tell you that works in reverse as well. You know, there are a lot of organizations out there. Uh, there's, there's probably thousands. And I would tell you first that there is a difference between an organization and a gaming community, okay? Gaming communities don't pay you any money. Um, You know, you see it all the time on Facebook, on Reddit, on Twitter, wherever you look, Discord, where these gaming communities that broadcast themselves as organizations looking for players, looking for pro players. And one of my biggest pieces of advice is I would give to anyone looking to start an organization, it's not cheap. There's not a lot of money being made in it, and there is a very specific path you would have to take to be successful. And we'll cover that one more on another episode of this podcast, but I always like to make the distinction between the both, between organization and gaming community, because there is a difference between the two. And don't ever sell yourself short as a player. Make sure that you do your research and everything when it comes to getting signed by organizations. Don't sign for a sandwich, okay? (laughs) <laughs> make sure you
1: get the whole meal. <laughs> it, it's interesting. It reminds me of a quote. I fr- I forget uh, who said it, uh, but it's in, in regards to 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 racing, like racing cars. And the, the the question, the kind of the the punchline of the joke is, or the setup for the joke is, what's the best way to make a million dollars in racing? You start with two
0: million. Y- yeah, absolutely. Right. I actually use that one a lot in esports. It's the easiest way to make a million dollars in esports. Well, start with two of it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, True story though, man. It's a true story. And and the other thing I really want to touch on today, you know, we, we are a podcast that focuses on esports and everything related to the gaming community. And one distinction I'd like to make is the difference between really an esports athlete and a content creator. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, those are two separate things.
1: Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent.
0: You know, it's as the owner of an organization, I would never. I I don't necessarily sign pro players for their content. I sign them because they are playing in tournaments. That's what they're good at, and they're here to make money. That is the whole goal of your pro players. Now, are there pro players that can double as a content creator? Of course. You know, there are there are those pros out there that they have a large audience because they're a one percenter in the game. They're one of the best. They're a pro player. You know, a good, good example of that, looking at a guy in Apex Legends, uh, Imperial How. You know, he's one of the biggest streamers on Twitch in Apex. And he's one of the best players in the game. He's a true one percenter. But, you know, you look at somebody and... I'll just go off on on a tangent here um, and look at somebody like Claire at work. Very good player in Apex Legends, Um, not quite a pro player, but very good. Has a massive following and is signed by Complexity. You know, she's on a different path than Imperial Hal. She's doing content, she's making videos, she's doing streaming, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit before the podcast about the lifestyle, Rob. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, it's uh. It's it's uh, it's 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 interesting to say the least. Um, the person that comes to mind when I think of that kind of stark contrast, right, between a pro player and a content creator, someone like Doctor Disrespect. I mean, everybody knows the Doc. Yes. Right. Uh, absolutely. You, you have just a gleaming personality. He's iconic, and the production value and entertainment values through the roof. You'll never find another streamer like him, and. I, in no way, shape, or form, and it's no disrespect to Doctor, disrespect, <laughs> but I would never see him in, in professional COD. I'd never see him in professional Apex. No. You, you, you just wouldn't. I, I watch the Doc, and I think many others would agree with me, because he's entertaining, because he's a personality. If I'm going to tune in and watch somebody not for that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tune into something that is very niche or they're top of the class in whatever they're doing it's, it's clinical to watch some of these pro players. I don't watch them because they may have the greatest personality or they're iconic in their appearance. I watch them because it's really interesting to see them clear lobbies.
0: Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's, it's funny you say that, uh, you know, as, as the owner of a new sports organization, I get probably anywhere from, you know, 10 to 50 messages a day by people asking about what we're looking for, for content creators and how to actually get signed. And the first thing I would say to any content creator is, why should I watch you over the next person? Mm -hmm. Why should I watch you over the other 100,000 people out there streaming on Twitch? What is it that sets you apart? Uh, And and a lot of times people fire back to that answer and say, well, I'm really good. I say, great. (laughs) So are the 120 pros and whatever game you're playing. They're all good too. So why should I watch you over them? They're better probably.
1: Well, I'm funny.
0: Hey, you know what? Dr. Disrespect is funny. <laughs> That's the other most common one you hear. You're absolutely. And, and I would tell people there are probably four categories that you would have to, you have to put yourself in one of those categories and you have to strictly focus on that. It's good to have tangents from all four But typically, there's there's four big ones, right? There's being a one percenter in the game. So if you are a pro player, you're a one percenter. You're known as being one of the best in the world. You are naturally going to get viewers because people love watching the best, right? You don't even have to try. Essentially, if you're that good, people are just going to automatically tune in. My next big one would be kind of like your persona streamer somebody who plays a persona of some sort and the one major one we just talked about the guy would be dr disrespect you know that's not him in real life but on a screen when he's doctor disrespect i mean he's got that persona to the t and he plays it out well there are a lot of streamers out there that fit into that category and it doesn't really have to be you don't have to put on a wig a mullet wig and glasses and and a bulletproof vest that's red (laughs) to be a persona (laughs) you could have an accent from a certain place and you could roll with that as part of your persona you know you you could have some kind of quirky thing you do every time you get a kill or in between games whatever happens to be just something that kind of fills that niche of i'm doing something different than everybody else that just fires up their stream and and goes with it and my third one would be you're visually pleasing and i think
1: aesthetic
0: aesthetic yeah Um, well, Amarath is a, is a prime example of that. You know, um, she's got a massive following and as good as she is at games, don't get me wrong. She is great at games. Don't get me wrong. But the majority of people that are tuning into that are tuning in because she is also very beautiful. Um, that's just, is what it is. I mean, there's, there's no changing that. That's been the age old thing since the beginning of time, right? They, that, that magic word itself. Right. And You know, I would tell you that those three are probably your three biggest ones. Your fourth one, a little bit smaller, a little bit more of a niche category, would be your game leakers slash informative videos. Oh, yeah. Somebody does really good voiceovers, leaks a lot of incoming content. Um, Somebody kind of like the gamer merchant, right? They do really good tutorial videos and they give you a lot of stuff to hype up. Season releases in whatever major game title it is, you find most of those people on YouTube. Oh, definitely not necessarily live streaming, but those are your four major categories, and you need to kind of fall into one of those in order to be successful as a content creator.
1: Yeah, I, you know it's 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 interesting you bring up kind of the um, like the technical aspects. Like again, as as you stated, niche. You know, leakers or or. Uh, you know, how to, or kind of optimization for lack of better term, uh, YouTubers, you know, I, I think of someone like, uh, like exclusive ace. I mean, it's all this guy does. He sits down and like frame counts and, and, and determines values and bullet velocity and call of duty and like all these like fine tuning things. It's it's, and he's got a nice voice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of it too. And, You know, now that we're talking about content creators, I would tell you that a lot of esports organizations are getting away from signing pro players and they're starting to lean more towards signing content creators. I think one of the big things you see in just esports in general, and I'll bring up a really good point here. uh, Liquid Mm. recently signed a League of Legends team, right? This is probably going back a couple of months now, but they signed a League of Legends team. They paid a lot of money for this team, uh, about a million dollars, right? And that team did not live up to the expectation. They go it was a disaster. Very, very yes. early. And that is a lot of money to spend and get nothing back. It's higher risk. I mean, think about that.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> higher risk. I mean, look at complexity. They signed, I mean, this was last year, but they signed Tim the Tap Man. You know every single day that you're going to be getting money from from Tim because of his viewership, he has a consistent, well-made, um, crafted rather uh, viewer base and fan base. Um, it's way less risk. You, you you don't sure you might spend a couple million, but you know that it's consistency. The reason why I love esports so much is the sheer randomness of it. On paper, you could have the best players on earth you could look at the raw stats you know in like a league team sign have a full roster and you might not make it out of the prelims but i but i definitely know that if i go on twitch and tim streaming he's got tens of thousands of viewers every day
0: absolutely Absolutely right. And, and you know, speaking to that point, I remember, I think it was last year in the uh, Valorant Championship Series, um, this Brazilian team, if I remember correctly, absolutely upsetting, like three of the world's major contenders instantly, and it just shocked the hell out of everybody, you know, and what I think people love, not necessarily just in esports, but in sports in general is a true underdog Cinderella. Yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. Everybody loves it. When you watch the NCAA basketball tournament, you're always rooting for the underdogs and everybody always makes a big deal out of it. If you're Tennessee, you're the volunteers, you're expected to be up towards the top. If you're Duke, you're expected to be towards the finals. But when you're St. Mary's university, a school of 10,000 people, nobody counted on you being there. And when you do get there, it is a huge, huge deal. And it's like that in eSports, in my opinion. You know, you get these Cinderella Cinderella runs and people just instantly become fans because they love that true feel-good story. You know, TSM has fans. They've got millions of them. Everybody knows in the eSports world who TSM is. They expect those teams to be competing at the highest level and to be there every time. They don't expect, you know, these small teams to instantly be there. And when they do, they're like, "Wow, look at these guys go!" And the crazy thing is, these small-time teams have probably spent a fraction of the money that TSM did to get there.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 huge. Look at uh, look at uh, Dark Zero, the last last year's ALGS championship. You know that yeah. it's 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 named after the guy for God's sake. You know, it's not like they spent a ton of money on it. It, it. It's just they 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 worked their way up, and then they they won against all odds. Um, you know, it's again sports in general. Look at um, uh, last year in November, um, Alex Pereira beating um, Israel Adesanya in the UFC. On 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 paper, he yep. was supposed to lose, and just a flash knockout, and bang, and just the the roar, the feeling of the audience was it was, it was amazing. And I, I love sharing that experience with, with other people. And that's why I think that's why I love esports so much, you
0: know, it's absolutely just the hype behind it is just so much. And, you know, like I was talking about a, a couple of minutes ago, how organizations are starting to gravitate away from pro players. And, you know, a, a lot of that being when you sign a pro player, now these guys know they're pros, right? They know that they are one of the best in the game no doubt about it, they are not going to play for somebody for free. You know, you can't just ask somebody, hey, you're a good player, you're a pro player, you want to come play for me, I'm not going to pay you anything, but I expect a portion of your winnings afterwards. They're instantly going to tell you no. (laughs) That's just not going to happen, right? So these organizations, they go out and they sign these players, and they're paying them fairly good money. And in some cases, I mean, these guys are making anywhere from 60 to 100,000 a year, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, depending on the organization, but your top tier organization is probably right in that line. And then that team goes out, they don't perform and they get $0. How do you justify losing all that money and getting nothing in return?
1: I feel like really the only way around that is, you know, these big sponsorships. You know, I just that, and you know, if you have some sort of contract where they're also doing content creation, but not every pro wants to be doing that. They they may want to just right. focus on the game. Hey, I'm a professional. Let me do this. Be like asking Michael Jordan, like, "Hey, I know you're doing basketball and all, but can you also do vlogging every day?"
0: <laughs>
1: He's not gonna want to that's do a that. Good
0: point. And, and that's why content creators have always been, or have now been considered the safer bet than the esports athlete. Because with content creation, you know what you're getting yourself into. You, you know that no matter what, this person's going to have viewers. If anything, you're just going to boost them. You know, you get signed to G2 Optic. You get signed to Complexity or TSM. You know, any of these big organizations, you know for a fact that that's only going to boost them up a little bit. They've already got a following. So there's money to be made off that with sponsorships where with these esports teams, and I'm going to give you a prime example of this. Recently, the ALGS, the Apex Legends Global Series, uh, the, the Season 1 for Season 3 now, just came to a close, and they're getting ready to go to a land. Well, G2 didn't make it, and G2's team kind of uh, crapped out, and they're released.
1: It's a shame, because so, uh, I really like the, the, the G2 roster. I think they're all really good players.
0: Uh, they certainly are good players, but on on that same topic, though, I mean, you can't you can't continue to pay people if you're not getting anything back. There is no business in the world where they can continuously lose money every month and still be employed and be in business. It just doesn't right. work like that. Well, I mean,
1: remember if you look at how big some of these esports orgs are, are are getting. I mean. Th- some of these, some of these groups have like an actual board of directors. I mean, what phase went public like two years ago, didn't they? Like it, yeah. it, it's a publicly, yeah, they're, they're ex- sure. it's on yeah. the stock market. Like it's on the market. Like you can't go to the board of directors and be like, Hey, we're going to keep paying these guys. And then they're like, yeah, but like you're, we're not getting results. Where's the money?
0: Absolutely. And that's dangerous for a lot of people involved when you become public because then you have other people giving their opinions And one of my biggest gripes, I think, in esports in general, if you look at a lot of your major ones, right, a lot of your major organizations, and most of them were started by gamers who did very well in their respective esports. You know, look at, um, for instance, I'll use it for instance here, uh, the CEO of TSM was a former League of Legends player who did really, really, really well. Look at, uh, look at 100. Yeah, Nadeshot, the Optic Dynasty. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, so these guys, in in my opinion, um, they're doing for those orgs are doing very well. Don't get me wrong. Those orgs are doing absolutely phenomenal. But they weren't started by people in the business world. They were started by people who are really, really good at gaming. And my point to that is esports organizations have been bleeding money for a long time they are just bleeding money by paying people and having no real clear path on how they're going to make that money back. You know, when you go to your investing round, you see—you just saw this with Fnatic a couple of years ago, how they had to raise, what was it, $15 million through serious fundings. <laughs> and I mean, that just goes to show you how are you going to make that money back? You know, you invest into an esports organization, you're not getting anything back for a while. It takes a long time to get that return. It's not instant.
1: Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because we're we're seeing, and you know, obviously, I haven't seen this on paper yet, but I, I've hypothesized for a while that we're we're starting to see these investors who have no idea about video games, no idea about esports, who are are coming in and thinking, "Oh, here here's a quick cash grab," right? And they're they're putting money in and then getting shocked when they're not immediately making money back. And it's a slow burn.
0: It's because somebody told them this was a billion dollar industry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they wanted a piece of it. And now they've come to realize that okay, maybe it's a billion dollar industry, but the billion dollars isn't right here. Where is it? It's it's
1: not something that you know. It's not like that traditional, uh, like business plan. You know, there's these quarterly meetings, you know, every, every, you know, Q1, Q2, like, what are we looking at? Like, of course, it operates like that, you know, when you get big enough. But, uh, you know, the consistency with professional esports is inherently inconsistent. Uh, So it's hard to swing that and, and to explain that to people who just don't understand.
0: But, but how do you get there? How do you get the consistency in esports? I mean, when when are we going to see that? How long into the future is it going to take before you can say, okay, if I'm going to have an organization, it's going to cost me this much money and this is what I should expect for returns. At what point or what do we need to do do you think to get
1: there? Well, well bringing up what you brought up um, – or rather bringing back what you brought up earlier in the podcast of you know how young is something. I mean I, I hate to use this comparison, but I mean look at crypto. Because it's so new, uh, it's it's hard to get a a benchmark, a baseline for how things are, and uh, I certainly think that esports is stable enough to maybe have that baseline. But, like, I mean, gosh, I unfortunately I feel like I couldn't even answer you. I I I can't think of a single thing that would allow an esports organization, other than I don't know, maybe content creators to to have those traditional board of director meetings and profitability and yada yada
0: <laughs> somebody's got to pay for these mansions that some of these uh, yeah gaming gaming houses, houses. Uh, whatever you want to call them <laughs> that these organizations are buying and you know it's funny when you when you bring that up these content creators living in some of these mansions that teams are providing for them and they're live streaming from their mansions i mean they're making videos and tours of, the, of their mansions and out there hanging out with other content creators in a way, it's, it's pretty awesome to hear and to see. But at the same time, I mean, this all comes with inherent risks. And one of the big ones I'd point out to you, you just brought up crypto, which is a good one. TSM took a deal FTX. Um, a few years ago yeah. with FTX. And that is a disaster all of a sudden. And, and I think one of the hard parts about crypto and, I, and a lot of ways it relates to esports is you got to be super careful. I mean, it's the wild west. There's no kind of accountability for any of it. And as you just saw with FTX, it can come to a screeching halt immediately.
1: It's it's frustrating too. S- situations like that are really hard. Um, you know, people who aren't in the know read these these news articles and they, they just they don't understand esports, they don't understand crypto, and it's it's scary sounding to them. I was I was just having this discussion with uh, my mother of all people uh, just the other day. She's like, "Hey, can you explain to me? Like I keep seeing this FTX TSM thing. Like what like what is this? What are these acronyms? Like what? <laughs> like can can can, can 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 you better help me understand this stuff?" And it's it, it's frustrating to me because people are are going to start being left with a bad taste in their mouth. If we want to legitimize and and make esports Globally recognized by the masses, incidents like this FTX thing should not be happening. It yeah. we need people to take esports serious, and those risks are just—I don't even know.
0: It's the one saving grace to that whole thing is that TSM is an organization that can survive without FTX. They will be just fine without them. But if you had a lesser org. If you had another organization that's coming up through the ranks, doing all right, pulling in some money, signing a deal worth two hundred and forty million dollars over ten years with any other organization, that catastrophe would have absolutely sunk them. Uh, sponsorships are the holy grail of esports orgs; they really are. You know, not many of them can operate without them. Um, it's it would be tough. You know, investors over the last few years they've been a little more harder to convince to invest in an esports organization based on our past, you know, where they're sinking millions of dollars into this business. It's kind of like the gold rush of 1849. You know, we found gold with this billion dollar industry. Remember, billion dollar industry. Holy crap. I just spent $25 million and you need another 5 million? What the hell did you do with the first 20? Right. Right. (laughs) So that's kind of the issue that kind of plagues esports in general right now is, There's no real clear path. There's a lot of hope and a lot of prayers and a lot of luck. I would tell anybody any day of the week, I would rather be lucky than good. I'll tell you what,
1: you know, speaking of luck, I feel like so many, not just content creators, but even esports athletes are in the game now because of luck. I mean, I think... And that—that's why I feel like a lot of people find esports as an investment kind of scary, because because of that um, entropy, for lack of a better term. It's—it's—it's. It's, it's... Let me give you a great example. Look at um, look at his Watson on Furia. the The dude was literally living in a single wide trailer, and he just all he did was stream all the time, just grinding to get to pred. In Apex. And he just happened to be seen by the right people. It got the right notoriety. And it just blew up on social media. And so like. Yeah. Luck factor is a real thing. I've I've tried explaining this to, to, to friends That's as well. Occurs. Like even just being a content creator. That luck factor is everything. You could be the greatest esports player on earth. In your respective game. But if someone doesn't see that you're that great esports player, you'll, you'll never be found out.
0: Absolutely, 100%. You know, and, and on that same note, you know, um, his Watson had no idea you could make this kind of money playing either. He even said that at the AOGS Championship. I had no idea I could make this kind of money actually playing an esport. And, you know, his rise basically as a pro player and a content creator was through that notoriety. He's one of those feel good stories. Furia dropped tech in the ALGS to get his Watson. And they had to go through the last chance qualifier. If you remember right. correctly, there was only two teams from that last chance qualifier going on to compete in the land for the championship for apex legends and his Watson's team, Furia, they, they made it through the last chance qualifier. And as luck would have it, they didn't end up winning though. So there is bad luck and good luck. And Dark Zero takes it. But Furia, if I remember correctly, they were leaps and bounds.
1: I'm pretty sure they had, if I recall, they're like 120 or 130 points. They were like 30 or 40 above everybody else. Yeah. And the the irony being, they had more points than Dark Zero, but it was a match point based. So,
0: Yep. Match point format means you have to cross a certain a certain threshold of points in order to take a W, to take the victory, then win the game. Um, so once you hit match point eligibility, you got to win. And Dark Zero came from ninth to first by just winning after getting over 50 points. And again, a lot of luck involved in that, right? I mean, you got 20 teams. You don't know where the circle is going to end. You have a pretty good idea, but... All it takes is just a little bit of luck there, a little bit of luck on getting to where you need to be, other teams killing each other. I mean, again, a lot of luck involved. That's kind of the hard part, but we'll save that conversation for another day uh, about BRs in general and really the viability of esports and BRs. Uh, Just a lot of luck is involved and a lot of randomness. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's the way these guys came up through. I mean, it was a feel good story. And I mean, he's pretty much gotten famous in Apex because of it. But the one thing I would argue is his style of play at the time is what people are more intrigued by. They were running several different characters that were outside of the meta for apex legends. And that's what kind of made him famous. Right. Right. But you, you look, you look at him now and you look at this past season and they didn't do as well. And it's because you always have a trendsetter, right? You get somebody setting a trend. Everybody kind of follows that. Well, once you set that trend, you now know how to beat that trend, and I do think that was a lot of his advantage as well. Was that nobody really knew how to counter it yet, but now everybody does. And he just didn't do his good. Hey, to uh,
1: you know, fight fire with fire. I think I think that was really the logic for everybody. It exactly. forced a meta shift. Yep. Um, I mean, it's it's something that I have always found interesting. Is what I call meta slaving, where it's you know. I have to go based off success rate and the success rate is this character, this character, and this character. Great. Well, maybe that means our odds will be better. Or, you know, maybe this character can only counter the same character. It's uh it's interesting stuff.
0: Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's, it's funny you say that actually, you know, you get one person that'll say, no, no, we can't play this character it just won't work somebody else plays that same character and all of a sudden everybody's like, Oh man, we're going to be playing this character and all of a sudden, Oh, <laughs> it's funny that, uh, that's kind of how meta shifts work is one guy just finds a way to really make that one legend character, whatever game it may be just makes it work. Um, but yeah, so I want to thank everybody for listening to this week's episode. That's pretty much all the time we have here on the episode. Again, thank you to everybody tuning in, listening, Wherever you're getting this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, five-star rating. It helps us get exposure to other people. Our next week's episode, we're going to have a special guest, and we're going to try to do this a lot. We're going to bring on Tess, Woo-hoo. who is a content creator for Nightmare, actually, and we are going to talk with her. We're going to talk about her story, how she got involved, how she's grown, and what she's found's really worked, what she enjoys about it, and everything else you want to know about test. And if you have questions for her, just add us. At E is for everyone, and make sure to like us on Twitter and ask us whatever question you want her to uh, us to ask her, and we'd more than happy to. Until then, my name's Josh Bellovo, joined alongside with Ron. The show. We hope to see you on the next one.